you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, why the church? Why the church? Why do we have the church? Uh, different times people ask me, what's the vision of the church? Well, today we're talking about it. If you remember when we started this uh, series of messages on the church, uh, we began by talking about how the church is God's plan to change the world. Uh, how does that work? And we're kind of coming full circle around to that idea again, but how does it work that the church is God's plan to change the world? Well, if you read scripture and you begin to understand the condition of the world, and, and uh, I know that we like to talk about coronavirus and things like that, and those are bad things. If you're of the sort, you know, you have climate change and global warming and all that kind of stuff, or, you know, uh, whoever's in the White House is ruining the world and that kind of thing. And, and so we like to talk about those great cataclysms uh, of our world and of our life, and, and I'm not trying to make light of any of those things. I'm just saying that it is not the greatest danger to humanity. The greatest danger to humanity, uh, to use the language of contemporary parlance on TV, the existential threat uh, of humanity today is not the coronavirus. Uh, the greatest, most insidious danger of uh, our world and humanity today is not global warming. Uh, the greatest, most insidious, most dangerous threat to every human being is sin. It's just that simple, sin. Now, I know that that may seem like a small thing, that sin is no big deal, but friends, let me tell you something, sin is what's destroyed us. And scripture paints a lot of different pictures about what sin does. It, 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 it drowns us in a sea of misery. It locks us in a uh, dungeon of death. It chains us into a cell of guilt and shame. It is that idea that sin uh, is something that destroys, is something that has destroyed you and me. And all of us who are here, who are followers of Jesus, we know what the Bible's talking about because we once were swallowed up in the despair and the disease and the death of our sin. We understand what it's like to be shackled to the shame and the pain and the guilt of our iniquities, of our diseased-like living. And we also understand what it's like to be set free. It's what we were singing about uh, here at, at Kemsville, singing about how that it is the blood of Christ that breaks every chain. It is through Jesus Christ that the chains that, that locked my soul in a cell of death and darkness and disease-type living, those chains have been shattered because Jesus went to a cross to die for me. Now, that is the why of the church. You see, our problem as human beings since the very beginning of time is that sin has separated us from God, and that separation has killed us already. And every person around you and every person in this room, uh, we are the prey of our own sin. 
P-R-E-Y. We are the prey of our own sin. Our own sin eats us away. It eats away joy. It eats away hope. It eats away satisfaction. It eats away life. That's our problem. That's the problem of every person with whom you work and every person with whom you go to school and every person in your neighborhood and every person in America and every person in South America and North America and Asia and, and uh, the Middle East and Africa and Europe and Antarctica and Arctic. No, uh, those who live below zero, whatever, wherever, no matter what, sin has destroyed and is destroying. And yet God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you and me, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, we have been saved. Why the church? Well, uh, Jesus came on a mission. God sent Jesus on a mission, a rescue mission, to reach those who were far from him, who were separated from him by their sin. God sent Jesus. He left the throne room of heaven. He was born in a manger in a stable, fully God yet fully man, so that he might break these chains that bound every human heart. Jesus, when he died upon a cross, as he stretched out his arms, he was dying for sinners like you and me. The weight of my sin was upon his back. The penalty that I deserved, the punishment that my sin demanded, Jesus took for himself, and he died in my place for my sin upon a cross. And he was raised three days later to give me victory. It is through Jesus that my sin is forgiven. My my guilt has been paid for. My chains have been shattered through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That's the solution. Jesus came on a rescue mission to reach me and you, we who are far from God. Jesus has sent the church on a rescue mission to reach those who are far from him. Jesus sends the church on this rescue mission to reach those who are far from God. That's our mission. That's why we're here. He has sent us to reach people. That's the vision of the church, by the way. The vision of the church is, simply put, every person who is in Christ is a missionary. And every person who does not have Christ is our mission field. Every person in this room who is a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. And every person that you know who does not know Christ, that is our mission field. Why? Because the person without Christ is lost to the chains of death and despair and hopelessness and joylessness. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Why the church? Because there are people who are far from God who have yet to be saved, who are yet to be rescued. Now, who are those people in your life? 
Who are the people with whom you work or you go to school? Uh, the, the people in your neighborhood, the people uh, down the street or the stranger on the street? Who are those people that God has planted around you who are far from God, who are still struggling in the chain and the despair and the guilt and the shame of sin and separation from God? Who are those people? First Norfolk exists. You and I exist to reach them. By the way, that's the only reason we're this side of heaven right now. The only reason the church is this side of heaven is so that we might reach those who are far from God. We are here because there are still people who are headed for judgment and eternal judgment apart from God, who are living a life separated from the family of God, who desperately need God. And that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to read along with me beginning in verse 9. The apostle Paul writes, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, come life or come death, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Can I stop there for a second? Can I just talk straight with you for a second? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, make no mistake, at the end of time, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you are going to give an answer for the life you've lived. Your eternity is secure, but you are going to stand before Jesus and he is going to evaluate the landscape of your life and mine. And he is either going to give you reward or he's going to not give you reward. Your eternity is secure. But there's going to be a day when we answer for the life we've lived. I want to make sure that when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I get a well done. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 11, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. But we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thusly. That if one died for all, then all have died, and he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, and all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself. And he has, uh, through Jesus Christ, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then... We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were imploring through us, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Who are the people around you that are walking in chains? Who are living in the deep darkness of despair because they're separated from God by their sin? 
And you see them and you know them, but the question is, do you really believe that their only hope is Jesus? C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, he said uh, Christianity is a statement that if false, is of no importance. But if true, is of eternal importance. The one thing it cannot be is of moderate importance. I'm afraid that in our culture, in our day, as followers of Jesus called the church, we treat the claims of Christ and our belief that Jesus is the only hope in this life or eternity, I'm, I'm afraid we treat it with moderate importance. Else we would talk about it more. We treat it with moderate importance as if it's true for me, but it's not necessarily true for that person with whom I work. Or it's true for me, but it's not necessarily true for the person who has that different idea about life, doesn't really even believe uh, that there is a God who brings judgment or anything like that, doesn't believe that Jesus is true or real. It's true for me, but not necessarily for them. Christianity is of moderate importance. And I've got to tell you that... That's just plain false. And, and, and it, it's, it's a picture of you and me and the church living in disobedience to God. Look, if you really believe that Jesus has rescued you from the chain of sin, has given you life, has filled up the empty spot, satisfied you completely, how in the world can you treat what he has done with such contempt as not to share it with others? What Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, is, is that it, we're new creations in Christ. We've been made new. That we have a new way of living, we have a new way of thinking, we have a new drive in our soul, and that, that newness that we have because we're, he, God has written upon our heart a brand new DNA. And the drive of that DNA is to help others who are far from God find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Who's that person in your life that doesn't know God because they don't know Jesus? They're separated from God by their sin. Who is that person? Can you hear their chains rattling and are you okay with that? Jesus is not okay with that. He came to rescue them. The church must not be okay with that because we are his missionaries on mission to reach people who are far from him. What Paul's saying is that if God's purpose is our pleasure and if God's pleasure is our purpose, then we're going to reach people. That's verses 9, 10, 11. If, if, if God's purpose is our pleasure, if, if what he purposes is what pleases us, and if his pleasure is our purpose in life, then we're going to reach people. That's what verse 9 is. We make it our aim, our ambition in life, uh, whether living or dying, whether in life or in death, we make it our aim, our ambition, our goal, our purpose to bring pleasure to God. Because we're all going to stand before Jesus and we're all going to give an answer for the landscape of our lives, whether we live for God's pleasure or not. And in order to live for God's pleasure, verse 11 says, we must persuade people. A life lived 
For God's pleasure is a life that receives Christ's praise. Here, a life lived for God's pleasure is a life that receives Christ's praise. The life that receives Christ's praise is a life that persuades others to embrace Jesus as Savior and King. That's what the persuading people is in verse 11. It's not to persuade people to... uh, to go through Financial Peace University. It's not to persuade people to vote a particular ticket uh, in this upcoming election. It's not to persuade people to set aside 10% of their income into a savings account. It's it's not to persuade people to uh, have a particular type of carpet or uh, to to, uh, drive a particular type of car. The persuading that Paul talks about in verse 11 is to persuade people to embrace Jesus Christ. To verse 9, we implore you, we beg you on God's behalf, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It is this idea that you and I have people in our life who don't know Jesus, who are far from God because they're separated from God by their sin, and our task is to persuade them, to persuade them that the only hope that they have for a satisfied life, for a forgiven life, for a life free from chain is through Jesus Christ. Christ. If we have Christ's purpose as our pleasure and Christ's pleasure, God's pleasure as our purpose, then we're going to help people who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. Who is that person? Who are those people in your life that are far from God, who are chained to death, despair, darkness? Who are those people? If God's purpose is your pleasure and God's pleasure is your purpose, then you're going to help that person, those people, find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, not just if God's purpose is our pleasure will reach people, but also if Christ's love is the model for our living, we will reach people. What what is the model of Christ's love? Well, verse 14 For the love of Christ constrains us, for we judge thusly that if one died for all, then all have died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, he's talking to us as followers of Jesus. Not only have we been rescued from the chain and the shame of our sin, not only have we been given a new heart and a new life uh, so that we can live for God's pleasure and our ambition (coughs) is to bring God pleasure, um, but the love of Christ sets the pattern of how we are to live. It is the love of Christ. Now, what is that love? That love sent Jesus from the throne room of heaven to be born in a manger in a stable to give his life for sinners like you and me. He died for you, a sinner, for me, a sinner. Jesus, who is God, became man so that he might rescue a sinner like Eric Thomas, who doesn't deserve it, who definitely didn't earn it, but God in his grace offers it. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In this, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave himself a payment, gave his son as the payment price for our sin. This is what love does. It sacrifices for the rescue of another. That's what what Jesus did. Jesus gave himself to rescue those who are far from God. Now, what Paul says in verse 14, the love of Christ constrains us. Not just him, but us, the church. It is the love of Christ that sets the pattern for our living. And what is that pattern? It is to sacrifice what we've got so that we might take the good news of rescuing love to those who are far from God. But we get that all confused because in the church especially, we say, well, I got my stuff, and I don't want to give my stuff up, and I don't care if people who don't know God, I don't care if it, if, if, if it affects them as long as I've got my stuff. They can die in their sin, they can die in their chains, but as long as I get my comfort and ease and have things my way, then I'm okay. And God says in this passage, no. We are disobedient and rebellious as a church when we decide that I'm more important than reaching those who are far from God. The pattern of our life must be modeled after the pattern of Christ's love. And his love says, I'll pay the price to set you free. Are you paying the price to set that person free? You know, that person in your uh, workplace, that person who is your classmate, that person in your neighborhood, that person down the street, that stranger on the street, are you paying the price in order to help them see the good news of God's rescuing love given to them through Jesus Christ so that they might be set free? Look, this isn't just the professional religionist's job. This isn't just the loudmouth of the church's job. This is everyone who is a follower of Jesus. That's our job. If, if God's purpose is our pleasure and God's pleasure is our purpose, then we'll reach people. If, if Christ's love is the model for our living, then we'll reach people. And finally, if we've been made new by Christ, we're going to reach people. Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Aren't you glad all things have become new? Aren't you glad that the guilt was demolished through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that the chains were broken through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that all the shame is dissipated and all the pain in the cell of our sin has been shattered? Aren't you glad that all things have become new? And all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself and given us, uh, through Jesus Christ, and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the first clue. We've been made new, so we've been given a ministry. What is our ministry? To help people who are far from God find the terms 
of peace with God. That's a ministry of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation is not me being nice to people. It's me helping people who are far from God find life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ministry. That's what the next verse says. That is that God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ not imputing their trespasses against them and has given to us the message of reconciliation. What is the message of reconciliation? That apart from Jesus, you are lost in your sin, but because of Jesus and his death on the cross for your sin, you can be forgiven and your chains can be demolished, destroyed, and you can be brought into the family of God. Which leads to verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who you are. If you have a heart that has received Jesus Christ, then you are an ambassador for Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you have been rescued by God's grace, then you are an ambassador for Christ. And what does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes to every person who is still clinging and clanking in their chains and helps them see the way to escape these chains. Who is that person in your life? You want to know why First Norfolk exists is because there are still people in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and around the world who are far from God, who are still clinking and clanging in their chains, and God has left us here to go to them on a rescue mission to reach them. So when we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ, for example, Make no mistake, he's going to say, were you a good ambassador? Now, every time I preach a message like this, I feel guilty. I don't know about you, I feel guilty. I'm not doing everything I should. And maybe you feel that way too. I don't want you to leave here just, be, I, I, I'm not saying don't feel guilty. If you're not doing what you should, like I'm not, then I want you to feel that pang of conviction. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart and compel you and me and us as a church to be faithful in reaching people. But I don't want to leave that with you. I want us to walk out of here with a plan. I want us to leave here with a clear idea of what I can do tomorrow or today and be a faithful ambassador. So I'm going to give you something that I don't ever give, and that's an acronym. I've been preaching for about uh, 17 years here at this church, over 20 years as a pastor, and I can promise you the number of acronyms I've used in my sermon is probably less than five. I never give an acronym. I think they're a little cheesy, uh, but that's just me. And maybe you're like, oh my goodness, I've been waiting this whole time for an acronym, you know? So here it is, here it is, your acronym. Uh, An acronym is where you have the first letter spell reach, right? And the reason I give you this, and I would not give it to you unless I really, I mean, I couldn't escape it. I tried everything. You can look at my notes. I did everything I could to escape reach. But God just kept bringing it back. And you'll see it come back in my notes and come back in my notes. And I, I just sense that this is something that might help us be faithful as a follower of Jesus and as ambassadors and as a church. So let's reach. An ambassador is called to reach those who are far from God. And how does he do it? First, by relationship. Friends, 
we can't reach those to whom we do not talk. An ambassador is someone who is planted on foreign soil, as we all are in this world, planted on foreign soil in order to share with those who are hostile toward God, share with them how that they might find peace with God. But it begins in relationship. An ambassador relates to people who are far from God. So who's that person? What's the name of that person with whom you work or your, your coworker, your classmate, your neighbor, your friend, your family member? Are you relating to them in such a way that you are opening a pathway or building a bridge to talk about the terms of peace between them and God? We've got to build a relationship. It, I used to be able to say, as followers of Jesus, we've got to sit in the smoking section. We don't have many smoking sections anymore. Uh, but you, and I'm not going to be courageous enough to say you got to go to the bar every now and then because I don't want that to be taken out of context because some of you will, I promise. Um, but the reality is we've got to go where people are who are far from God. We've got to build relationships with them. Jesus did, and we must. Relational. But in that relationship, we must be an example. That's the E, example. We've got to embody the good news that has changed our life. We've got to share and show how that God has changed our life. So in relationship, it may be as simple as asking a person, how was your weekend or how's it going? And asking them every day and actually listening to them when they give a response. And then when they give a response, they ask you how your weekend is. You need to be an example of what God is doing in your life. And even if uh, the, the pipes froze and burst and the whole bottom floor of your house is flooded, uh, you can say, well, it was a pretty tough weekend. The, my, the bottom of my house is flooded. Oh my goodness, how are you doing? Well, it's going to be okay. I really believe that God has a purpose in this. I don't see it yet, and it's not, I'm not really excited about it, but I really do believe that God is in control of this. You need to be an example of hope, not despair. You're trying to help people who are chained to despair escape it. And yet we go to work, and all we can do is moan and groan and complain about our life. How, what kind of example is that? We need to be a people of hope demonstrating the good news of God's great love in our lives. We build this bridge of relationship. How's it going? We set the example. God is working in my life. I want you to see how. Sometimes that example is just, just uh, looking for that opportunity, and that's anticipation. The A, anticipate. You know, we need to have a holy anticipation for what? God might do to open a door toward communication. That, that, that anticipation is where we wake up every morning and we're trying to build this relational bridge and we're, we're trying to set an example. So we wake up in the morning and we say, oh God, will you, will you open the door of opportunity for me to talk to this person, that person, your coworker, your classmate, your neighbor down the street, the stranger down the road, God, will you, will you show me that open door of opportunity that I might walk through? And that, uh, that anticipation may lead to an invitation to church or to a small group or to a Bible study. 
It may just be uh, an opportunity to, to talk about spiritual things, to move from small talk to talk about spiritual things. Anticipation, Spirit of God, will you show me? Give me the, that, that holy courage to step into that opportunity that you open. This past weekend, our student pastor, Seth Peterson, uh, went for a run at a local park. Uh, he's 20-something years old. He doesn't need to run. But anyway, he, he felt like he did. So he's out there running, and, and, uh, and at the end of the run, he got in his car, and he was driving off, and he saw that there were three teenagers playing basketball. And because he lives with that holy anticipation, he sensed that this was an open door of opportunity to talk to three students, to build a relational bridge, to set an example, and perhaps lead to the C, which is communication. See, there comes a time where all of us, in those anticipatory moments, all of us have to cross that line and share the good news of God's rescuing love. And, and it's really as simple as your sin has separated you from God and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it. But God has provided a way for you to be forgiven your sin and that is the person of Jesus who died on the cross in the place of sinners to bring forgiveness to sinners like you. And if you will... By faith, repent your sin and trust in Jesus, then you can receive the promise that you'll be saved. And in that transaction of grace, the emptiness inside your life will disappear because you will be brought into God's family and you will be, for the first time, fully alive. That's the gospel. It's the, the good news that, that we have a problem. It's our sin. God made a provision. It's Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And we have a promise, and that promise is that we can be saved through faith in Jesus and repentance of our sin. Seth took advantage of the anticipation, and he walked through that open door and began to talk to these three students and and, uh, and, and hung out with him for a little bit. And then he moved, he crossed that line, he began to share with them the gospel. And in clear, simple terms, he shared with them how that they can be rescued. And all three students came to faith in Jesus Christ. All three. Now, friends, I gotta tell you, that's not just Seth reaching people. That's first Norfolk reaching people. We all have a share in that. But we must build a relational bridge. We must be an example. We must anticipate. We must communicate. And then finally, we've got to help people. See, when we communicate the good news, not everybody's going to get it at first glance. After each worship gathering, there's been conversations with people who need help with their questions. They need to understand more fully, what do you mean this promise or this problem that we have or this provision that God makes? What, what do you mean? Help me understand. See, an ambassador also helps with questions and then helps with next steps. And the person that comes to faith in Christ, here's where the cycle happens. We, we want that person who is rescued from the chain of sin, we want them brought into the church and, and, and to declare publicly through believer's baptism that they're followers of Jesus, to be plugged into a small group where they can grow as a follower of Jesus so that they can as well reach people who are far from God. We've got to help 
in the next steps and help with questions. This is what you and I must do today. Reach. Max Lucado um, shares the story about one day he was traveling uh, through a cemetery. And as he was traveling through that cemetery, he, he, he was arrested and stopped and, and looked at this one tombstone. And the tombstone had uh, the name of a lady that was buried there and had the date of her birth and the date of her death and then had the, the names of two of her husbands and then haunting words. Um, seeking rest, yet resting not. Seeking love, yet not being loved. Seeking peace, yet having no peace. She died as she lived, alone. What's the name of that person that God has put in your path? That's the story of their life. Whether they acknowledge it or not, they're walking through a tombstone, a cemetery of shattered dreams and a broken life. They're chained and shackled to sin and they have no escape. And they need help and God has put you in their life to help them. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Let's help that one find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? It is a transaction of God's grace that gives us new life in Christ. It's not the work that we do. It's not the efforts of our own lives, but it's only what God has done through his great love with which he loved us. And we can celebrate that grace as those who've been set free from the power and pain of our sin, who've been brought into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. But there are some here today perhaps who only see the problem, the emptiness of their soul. And they have never embraced God's provision which is Jesus and his death on the cross as payment for their sin and his resurrection from the dead as new life for them. And so they're living without a promise of rescue. So if you're here in the sound of my voice and you long to be rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to Jesus today. I invite you to choose him and find life through faith in Christ. For those who are in the room today who are followers of Jesus and you have been set free, would you be courageous enough to write down the name of that person that God has put on your heart make a commitment, I will reach this person. Will you write that 
name on a card or a slip of paper and just bring that card up here and lay it at the altar. Father, in these moments as we commit to you to be courageous and bold, to be your ambassadors in a broken world, I pray that you would help us Help us reach those who are far from you. God, there are people in the room today, whatever location, who have not yet experienced the rescuing love that Jesus alone can deliver. They're still lost in their sin, dead in their trespass. They're still locked in a dungeon of despair and hopelessness. But today you offer new life in Christ. And you've revealed to each one of these people that, that they don't have to live so far from you any longer. But through the death of Jesus on a cross and his resurrection, they can be brought near to you. They can, they can be forgiven their sin and find new life through faith in Christ. So I pray in these next few moments that you would give them the courage to say yes to you, to come to one of the ministers here at the front and, and say, hey, I need Jesus. I choose Jesus today. Father, whatever work that you need to do in the church called First Norfolk, do it now. and We will give you glory. May we be courageous and obedient to you. And may you draw to yourself those whom you are calling. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.